Happy National Cheese Day. Say cheese. Cheese. <laughs> and welcome to Echo Online. We want to inspire you to take your first steps into our life-giving local church and discover the community and support you've been searching for. Come join us for one of our services at Mayo um, at either 9.15 or 10.45 on Sundays. We can't wait to meet you and welcome you to our family at Echo Church. That's right. Our hope is that Echo will become your place where you feel a true sense of belonging, your people where you find friendships and support, and your purpose where you discover and fulfill your unique calling. We believe that's what we're all searching for and we're excited to share it with you. July will be upon us so soon, so save the following dates. Yes, July 2nd is Sabbath Sunday. There will be no in-person gathering as we enjoy our family and friends over the holiday. So tune in online no matter where you are. July 15th will be Echo Serve Day. It is an awesome opportunity for us to be good neighbors in this beautiful city of Rochester. It's gorgeous. July 20th, join us at the Honkers game with the Echo family. It's been a fun yearly tradition as we root for the home team and eat some ballpark food. So buy your tickets today. <laughs> as always, check out the Echo weekly email for how to sign up or find out more information about what's going on. Your ongoing generosity is deeply appreciated. We believe that giving extends beyond finances and is an act of worship and a transformative force of change. Will you join us in this journey of faith and generosity? You can donate by heading to our website or simply Venmo us at We Are The Echo Church. Enjoy, Enjoy the, the rest of Echo, Echo Online.
thankful for Jesus's love. We're going to take a moment and uh, participate with communion. So if you don't mind getting your elements and if you need some kind of communion, don't be afraid to raise your hand or I believe it would be back kind of where you entered and there'll be some extra there. But Jesus, he Just before he left earth, he invited his disciples, his closest friends to him and to his table. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And as I was thinking about communion, I just was thinking about Psalms 23, just particularly for today and the series that we're in and how we all navigate through stressful moments and pressure and anxiety or dark days. And I just thought it was so, um, appropriate to read Psalms 23. So uh, let's read it together. It says, it says, uh, it says, the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. Okay, come on. Someone say amen out there. The Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. Some of you, you came in here and, and, and maybe you, you think the opposite is true, but I just have to tell you, you have way more than you know, because God is with you. Come on, someone say amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I have nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me besides quiet waters and he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you, and this is what I want to get to, you have prepared a table before me. That's what he's done. And he even does, he does it in front of the presence of your enemies. And then he anoints our heads with oil and our cups overflow. For surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How many agree with me today that God is good? How many of you agree with me that you've experienced God's love personally and that you've received his forgiveness? That's why we do communion today. Because what we're going to do is we're going to remember that the bread is a, is a symbol and how his body was broken for you. That he was inconvenienced. That he was in essence broken with you in mind and for your healing 
for your renewal and your restoration. And on the other side, his blood was spilt to remind us of the cost of our mistake and what he was willing to pay. And how many are thankful that his blood covers over a multitude of sins? Like the whole world sin, like everything, like it is enough because God's cup overflows. And that's what we do today. We stop and we, we say, Lord, you know what? We, we're busy. We've got a lot of things to do over this weekend, but we're going to stop and remember how your body was broken for us and your blood was spilled for me. And so Jesus, we thank you that you willingly laid your body to be broken for our healing, our renewal, for our restoration, and that your blood was spilt for our forgiveness. And more importantly, God, to make a way that we might have relationship with our heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us and continues to put a table in front of us, even in the midst of our stress, even in the midst of our anxiety, even in the midst of our pressure and our enemies. Because God, you love us completely. In Jesus' name, amen. You may partake with both elements. Some of you know him and some of you do not know him. Ron is a good friend of mine. We've known each other for a long time. We met in the gym. You want me to take the shirt off and show you? No, I'm kidding. We met at church, okay? At a Bible study. <laughs> Which he, he, you know, then maybe it matches just a little bit more there, but... Um, no, honestly, it is a privilege to have you. Ron is a good friend, and uh, Ron and Stephanie are amazing. Uh, they used to live in Rochester, and uh, seriously, we met each other at a church. And, and uh, I was so disappointed when they decided to move, but uh, they moved for a great purpose. They're doing great things up in St. Cloud, making a difference uh, and helping people recover from from drug addiction, I believe, right? Yes. And alcohol and just uh, amazing work they're doing up, which by the way, if you've ever done anything like that, that is tough work. Yeah. <laughs> it is tough work. And so I commend you and your wife. And, um, but I invited you because we had an awesome conversation uh, just over a month ago about this series when I met anxiety and I just was like, yep, yeah, this is it. You know, it's become a yearly tradition to have you come down and have a conversation with me. And, and every time we have a conversation off the phone, we're always like, man, we should have just recorded that. Yes. <laughs> we could have just pressed play today. Uh, but I'm super excited to have a conversation with you. And the first question I want to ask you is this, is when did you meet anxiety? I asked you that about a month ago. Why don't you tell me what you told me? Wow. Well, yes. Uh, first, thank you all for having me here at Echo. Greetings so, from St. Cloud. Yes, greetings from St. Cloud. <laughs> so excited to be here and honored to be here in this important topic. It's so important for us as a church to have these conversations. Amen? Yeah. yeah it can be challenging in and of itself, but I think we are better for it. And so when you ask me the question about when I'm in anxiety, some of you might be able to relate to this, but I had a quick answer, a pat answer to that, because to be honest, I didn't really want to go there. Y'all been there? Like where, yeah, I, I can give an answer, uh, but it probably wasn't the one that I honestly could have given. And so the answer I gave you was one that was, it was legitimate, but it was back in my 20s. I was a new graduate student. I was teaching one of my first classes. And if you know me, those of you that know me, when I get really excited, I, I flop my dreads around. And so I was teaching my first class, and I was already nervous. It was like one of my first classes. And every time I got really excited, uh, the students were laughing. I had no idea why they were laughing. And it just gave me this anxiety. And I felt like all the men, oh, I'm doing a terrible job, what have you. And the more I said, I'm going to really press in. I'm, I'm just, and every time I pressed in even more, people laughed more. 
Until I just said, you know what, forget this. And a student thankfully came up and said, Ron, every time you give a point, your dreads go flying, and everything you wrote on the chalkboard behind you gets erased. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's why you're laughing? And so then my anxiety was reduced. Like, okay, so it's really about that. But that's the answer I gave, honestly, because I wasn't comfortable going anywhere else. But thankfully, Andy, you said, well, do you have another one? I mean, that's important, but what, what else? What's another scenario? When did you first meet anxiety? Like, you almost like repeated that. Like, yeah, I, like, just couldn't, I couldn't believe that like, you know, mid-20s or later, I was like, that, that's your first time that you've experienced a little stress or pressure or anxiety. I just, it was hard for me to believe that. And, and it was hard for me to talk about because for many of us, even sharing about our anxiety brings about anxiety. Mm. And so when I had to think about that, I said, okay, you want to know the real answer. And so I had to go back there to my early, early years, six, seven years old. And one thing about my life is, and I think for many families this happens, is families have various circumstances that are tragic. And for me and my family, it was my father leaving. You know, I am confident I would have been a, a, a daddy's boy. I had visions of me and my dad being so close as a little boy. And every time he came around, from my memory, it was so special. But he came around less and less, and then not at all, which left a really gaping big hole. And at age seven... There was a promise that he'd be there at my birthday. I don't know where that came from, in my own mind, or if he had said it. And I was so nervous and anxious about him showing up on my seventh birthday. And all these images in my head about him being there, and what if he doesn't show up, and what does that mean for my life and my future? I'm, I'm like six thinking this. My life and my future, and what am I going to do? And, you know, I wanted it so bad, and that seventh birthday... Unfortunately, he never showed. And that wrecked me. And it wrecked me in a pretty significant way that for years, the trauma I had from whether he, the, 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 the promises unfulfilled or his absence and some of the other things that came because of that led to severe anxiety and stressors that until you had pressed it, I never even brought it up but it was something that I always had with me. Yeah. Yeah, and I've noticed in, in conversations with a few other people, uh, there is that quick answer, uh, but then there's that sincere answer. And uh, so often in relationship, uh, you know, we can easily fall into the, the practice of just kind of going light, you know what I'm saying, and not going very deep. And, and uh, it was just, it was one of those moments on the, on the call that I was like scratching my head because my experience, I, I first met anxiety when I was seven or eight years old. And, and I've told the story already, so I won't repeat it again. But, but, um, but I, there's just a scenario where I believe like there is a moment that sets us up for the for future and how we're going to deal with future stressors or pressures or anxiety. And so um, with that type of experience, Ron, how have you navigated um, that as an individual? Uh, but then also, this is kind of a complicated question, uh, with what you do professionally, what have you seen culturally um, that could be beneficial for us today? Oh, thank you. Those are great questions. And I'll take the, the, the latter one first. And I'm a sociologist. And so a lot of my work uh, that I do professionally has to do with research around groups, the acknowledgement. I think it lines up biblically as well that we are social beings, right? We are not, no individual, whether you're introverted or extroverted, we're still social beings and need interaction with other humans, that we recognize the research bears that out. We know that, I mean, even psychologists have figured out that, you know what, hugs and handshakes, they actually 
change our moods and our emotions and things behaviorally. We know we need people. Us as social scientists recognize that we're in duress. You know, we know that there's a study called the Misery Loves Company study that when we are in struggles, human beings have always reached out to other human beings because we know we are better together, that we need community in that. And one of the things I've found as recent times of my work has been that a lot of that built-in community we have has been a bit disrupted, whether it be the pandemic or technology. And I love technology, by the way. But these things, these other experiences have really affected us. I mean, I think about the way in which we've had to navigate all the ways we connect with other human beings through social media, the ways in which we even engage in mundane tasks is all online. And I'm not saying those aren't good things, but they have become unfortunately seen as a replacement for human interaction. We still need the human interaction. We don't get away with, we can do all the the efficiency, but we don't get away with it without the human interaction still being fulfilled. Similarly, I mean, I think about the world we've, we live in. I, I, have, I teach classes. I love teaching. I, I fell in love teaching because I was around students, around people. Now I teach in an online capacity sometimes. I actually, fancy word, I teach in a way called asynchronous. And if you've heard of that, it means I teach people that we're not even in the same place at the same time, but we're all kind of together. And I never thought that that would be my reality, an asynchronous teacher, educator. And so that is a situation we all have. And we know, not long ago, words like shelter in place were common language. We were on our own, and that had significant, significant impact. A lot of the research I've seen in in my world, I'd say at least a third of the studies that were at my recent conference I'm at, uh, Midwest Sociological Society, was about how the pandemic had negative outcomes because people aren't able to connect. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's safe to say when we're trying to destigmatize maybe this conversation a little bit and this topic, like, like the majority of humankind is dealing with anxiety. They are, but there is a stigma, isn't there? There is a, there is a way of feeling shame sometimes, you know, especially as a believer where I feel like, well, goodness, I mean, here I am, I go to church, I'm a Christian, yet I'm still dealing with these emotions and feelings, but not recognizing that, boy, in this side of eternity, we still are going to navigate some of this stuff, the physical and mental ailments that are out there, right? We know that. And God's given us tools, right? I'm not a mental health professional, but I do know that God has given us the tools, gifted medical professionals and others, as well as the communities around us to help support us. Yes. Um, tell me how... Uh, how, let's go back to the, to the story with your dad and how did that affect you as you've matured? No, oh, I appreciate that. And, and because it has affected me, you know, I think family is such an integral part of our whole self. But one of the challenges is what happens when, you know, family has a function, right, of, of protection and emotional support and stability. But what happens if the family itself has, has lacked that or actually caused harm, right? And in my case, that has happened in some ways, which was very difficult. It's led to a lot of anxiety. And when we think about the intention and worry, I always had that as, 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 a, as a child in my teen years, etc. And there's ways in which I've engaged it, and I want to share some of those with you this morning. And, uh, you know, the first is, you know, dealing with anxiety sometimes comes out of the blue, doesn't it? It isn't something like, you know, I'm going to feel anxious tomorrow, or I'm going to have a trigger in about three days. You have no idea sometimes, right? It just sneaks up on you. You could be okay until you're not. You all get what I'm saying? And so I was in a situation like that where I was okay until I wasn't. I was having a good day, and the teacher said, I'm going to throw in a movie for class. And I'm like, you kidding me? That's great. That's a good day. You're throwing in a movie? Like, you know, me just we check out, watch the movie. And so the, 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 the teacher throws a movie in, and the movie's about this kid whose dad's far away, and he misses his dad. And so I'm watching it, and I'm already feeling it, right? Kid, dad, you get it, right? Trigger. And so I'm feeling it, and that anxiety that I've had come up over and over again in so many different scenarios, started to feel, feel it a little bit. I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to manage this. But in the story, there was a moment where dad returns. Dad shows back up. And son is, has been praying and hoping for dad to show up. And he shows up. And what dad has in his hand, he goes, son, I'm here. 
I've returned. I kept my promise. And you know what he had for his son? He had a jacket. Jacket, well, like a leather jacket his son always wanted. He's like, here's the jacket. And they hugged. I cannot tell you. In that moment, I couldn't breathe. I was so anxious. I was having what I think now is a panic attack. I flew out of my chair. Dusk went flying. I'm in the middle of a bunch of kids. They're all looking at me like, what's wrong with you? It's movie day. And I'm sitting here, tears in my eyes, can't breathe, ran out of the class. And I was completely debilitated. Like, I couldn't move. I'm sitting there in the hallway, and it's escalating. And I'm so thankful that someone came up to me and engaged me in that moment of anxiety with a lesson that I take to this day. And the lesson really has to do with how do you confront someone How do we engage anxiety when it jumps out of the blue? And I'm going to give you a little nerdy brain science, okay? So I'm going to give my mic to Andy. And so they use this a lot, meaning uh, psychotherapists, others, to explain trauma and anxiety to children. But if we think of my hand and and my wrist as the brain, right? We have cortex, decision-making, a lot of like high-functioning and then we have the lower brain, right, the limbic system. You know, it's got a lot of emotion and, and decision-making, memory. This is like the amygdala, the hippocampus, okay? Just remember upper, lower. And one of the things we talk about with this is not, especially for children, we use, a, we use animals. So you'd say right, the wise owl is the top, and the lower is the barking dog. So when you think of barking dog, in times of anxiety, when it, those panic attacks happen, what we see is, Fight or flight, flee, right? Yeah. Like, so, so we like fight, like, oh my goodness, flight, I got to get out of here. And so what, that, what happens with there is in that moment, I'm not thinking reasonably. I'm not making decisions. The wise owl flies away when the barking dog comes. So I want to just explain, in that moment, I was in that hallway, and I couldn't be reasoned with. I couldn't get advice. I couldn't breathe. And the person came up to me, seeing me in that state, did this for me. They talked with me in a tone. It wasn't what they said. It was how they said it. In a calming tone, they said to me, you're safe. I'm here. And I'm not going anywhere. Just breathe with me. Breathe with me. Quieting the barking dog. The fight, fight. That my wise owl could come back. Remember, I am in a place where I'm safe. People care about me. And how I am with someone in that moment. And throughout my life, I've carried that to practice in my faith even. There are times now, it wasn't the last time I had one of those experiences. But I want you to do this as a takeaway for this piece. Is that when we have that, sometimes we don't have words. The only thing I've learned to do in that moment now is because I don't always have that kind person in the hallway, is I bring Jesus into my hallway. And so sometimes the only thing I've learned or practiced saying is the word Jesus. I'm talking about a time where I forget to breathe, right? So I I can't, I, I don't have any long sentences or things to say. I've just said Jesus. Jesus, and sometimes if I'm able, I can say, Jesus, I pray over my mind. Jesus, I pray over my thoughts. Jesus, I pray over my mind. Jesus, I pray over my thoughts. Because I need to get into that place to calm down. I need to have the Lord with me in that hallway to bring back the wise owl. And so there's sometimes we need to do that in our lives. And so that, from that time, and by the way, another story that I will share, I even do that. I'm, my wife knows and my family knows I'm kind of scared of flying, but I, I have brought a plan. So when I fly by myself, any, if you ever happen to be fortunate to be the pastor next to me, I even have a plan where I ask them, when I get nervous, because my anxiety for flying, because I fly a lot, always I'm flying, I said, so I might get nervous, but I need you to tell me that you're here and everything's going to be okay. And this is a stranger, by the way, and I do it. I do it with strangers. I'm like, are you okay with that? They're like, yes. Just tell me that you're here. We're not, you'll be, I'll be okay. And it sounds again like, but I need to bring back the wise owl. And I know it and I planned for it ahead of time. I was just thinking, if you had said that to me on an airplane, 
and I didn't know you, you'd cause a whole lot of anxiety in my mind. <laughs> Who did I sit next to? Like I said, if you have a fortune, that's what you're going to get. <laughs> oh, as you were talking about your story in the hallway, I, I was thinking about uh, about a year ago, I brought my Airstream up to uh, our, our land up in, up, up in uh, northern Minnesota, and we slept in it for the very first time. And one of my daughters, um, now looking back, we realized had an anxiety attack, and, and she was worried about bears. She was worried about animals. She was worried about the trees falling on us. And, and there's a better part of two hours where, where she just wasn't reasonable. Mm-hmm. And I wish I would have heard your story about the person that was way better than me <laughs> to come sit in the hallway. Because when I was in the Airstream, which is pretty much a hallway, uh, I said, <laughs> just go to bed. <laughs> Dad is here with you. Shut up <laughs> and go to bed. <laughs> Uh, but really, it is, it is a, uh, I wish I was a little bit more spiritual um, and better dad, but maybe I could be next time. But, but really, thank you for sharing that. That, that, is, that is a helpful tool. And I sense you probably have a little bit more ammo to give us here. So Absolutely, because it isn't just those moments where it's out of the blue, right? Those are when we're in that state of panic and duress. Like, I can't breathe. I need to breathe. And there are other times, though, it's that constant attack we get. And you know what I'm going to refer to, many of you. It's that inner voice, that narrative. So I think about my life and some of the stressors I've been through, and there's many, and if you've heard my story before, I've had a lot of situations that went on, and it led me to tell a story in my mind that said, Ron, you're broken. I heard the word broken home so many times in my life, I started believing I'm broken. Something wrong with my family. I started thinking about how, like, you're not going to make it. I think about all the kids I grew up around, and we were told, like, you kids are not going to do it. Many of you aren't going to make it. You're going to end up dead or in jail, or you're going to end up, what's the point? And I started internalizing those things. It became the narrative. Others, like, just the idea of, you know, I'm not worth it. What's, who am I? I'm nobody. And that voice gets louder and louder and louder. And I would hear it oftentimes in my, in, in any time, even when I started doing some things. You know, even, even as a Christian, I still hear that voice saying, this ain't real. You ain't doing this. that voice. The enemy would love to rob us of our joy, right? And so I hear that quite often in my mind. And one thing I've done, and it just fuels that anxiety, Andy, and what I've been able to do is recognize that I need to, re- to, to seek out that alternative narrative, the other story. And in the scriptures, oh boy, there's plenty of it. God's given us so many promises of who we are in him that I can speak against that voice, right? And I think about one of my favorite life verses of Philippians 1, 6, that I'm confident in this, you know, for he who began a good work in you it's faithful to complete it until the return of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you, right? We need to recognize that. We need to be confident in that, that God has done a good work in you and is continuing to do it until Christ's return, right? We're not broken, right? We are transformed. And I know this. I speak to this. I know that it's, it says in, in, in Psalms, right, that I can have, you know, praises to the Lord because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We have a good creator. He creates good things, not broken things. We are good things. He has a plan and purpose for us. I speak loudly about that because, you know, that voice gets loud. Sometimes y'all have to be louder. We got to be louder. And I can, sometimes I speak it out loud because I need to. I need to drown out that other voice because I know on this side of eternity, God's given us that scriptures that isn't just sort of a nice thing to have. It's a must have, right? It's a survival tool. And God's word and his promises, he speaks to me through those. And recognizing the power of that has significantly calmed my anxiety. I cannot tell me many times. I think about even reading the Psalms. I think about the, the, David. Imagine writing the Psalms. He's like, help me, Lord. Help me. And recognizing that God has promises for us. And so it excites me to think about the, that, those 66 books we have at our disposal that can speak truth to the lie we've been told by the enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you were talking, I was just, uh, it just came in my heart again that anxiety is a liar. Yeah. 
It feels so real. It it can feel like truth, but the truth is anxiety is a liar. And and there is no place in our life for it. And uh, and again, sometimes we kind of almost have to weaponize ourselves against that type of attack. We have to. We have to. I think for me, at least, I need to go on the offensive because I get beat up, right? You've been there. We're just so trying to survive. And my thriving is remembering and resetting to what this is who God says I am. And speaking that truth to the lie. Mm -hmm. And it has had profound impact. You know, I'll give you an example uh, as an application. So as uh, Andy shared, Stephanie and I run a uh, chemical dependency treatment center. And one thing that I've decided to do, because I so believe in this, is in our treatment center, we have all kinds of programming that are for substance abuse disorder, you know, all kinds of stuff uh, that is, I think, impactful. But I, I told Steph, I go, one thing we need for these guys, you know, we have a 27 male facility. One of the things we need for these guys is we need a leadership class. These, these men have been told so much that they're nothing and they, they got nothing and there's, there's no further. And I know that they need to see another story in who they are. Because yeah. I know who God sees who these men are. I know who they are as leaders and positive influencers, right, in the world around them, in their families and in their community. And I need to know that they see, that others see that in them. Correct. Right? We, so I, I only bring it up because to say we need to speak that to each other. That I see who you are. I see the, the, the wonderful creation that God has made you to be. So it's super, it's super important not only for us to do that to ourselves, for ourselves, but for those around us. Absolutely. Where do we go from here? Goodness, you know, I think the idea is it seems like an individual thing, right? Like it's like, okay, so what can I do in the crisis? What can I do in the inner narrative? But it isn't really what just we, you can do. It's what we do together. You know, there's a saying that I hold fast to, hold, hold strong to. It's you want to go fast, go alone, but you want to go far, go together. And so in this, I think looking through the scriptures, there's so many examples that, that is provided for us of meeting anxiety. We shouldn't do it alone. We need to do it together, right? I can tell you my uh, mode of doing it historically was like the single, I was going to man up. I was going to keep it. How you doing, Ron? I'm good. I'm doing good. I got this. Knowing that was kind of a lie. I didn't got, I was struggling, but performing in a way I thought would like, okay, people think he's good, he's got this. Or even as a believer, when people say, how you doing? How can I pray for you? No, I'm good. No, I don't. You know, now I'm like, you, you want to pray for me? <laughs> yeah, I, because I know the power of prayer. And when you know the power of prayer, someone said, pray for me? Yes, here, I, I, yes, let's pray together. Because I know the Lord hears those prayers, and I'm excited for you to pray for me. I do that with youth groups all the time. I tell the students to pray for me. And y'all students need to pray? Well, no. I'm like, well, here's my list. <laughs> and I have all the students pray for me. Because I know that the Lord listens to those prayers. And they're like, really? You want those prayers? I'm like, absolutely, because I know God is good. He hears our prayers. Uh, and so to me... Going together is about us, you know, collectively working. Like, we think about the layers of support that Joshua had fighting the Amalekites and Ezekiel, right? So here's Joshua fighting against the Amalekites. But who else did he have? He had Moses, right? Moses going on top of the mountain. So he had Moses. It wasn't just him. Moses said, I'm going to pray for you. Then we had uh, Aaron and Hur who are also helping Moses. Let me get you a seat to sit on. Let's raise your hands every time you get tired. We're going to hold that up. How often do we need that? Come on. How often do we need those thwarts to hold our hands up? To not, have, not be satisfied with the pat answer of I'm doing good, but really stretching and say, but how are you really doing? Right? Together. And I was just, as we close, I want, you, I want you to think about this story, about how that's come together for me. Because it's a story, to be honest, I've shared with stuff I can't believe. Like, sometimes God works things out amazing. Agreed? It's amazing how God works. And how could that, how could it work this way? But it did. You know, I started sharing, and I was honestly very ashamed to talk about my fatherlessness and the pain it caused me. And I started sharing with people in a community that I had. And what I did was I built a team. And I encourage all of you, 
when you think about your own situation, it's like, who's on my team? There's a lot of people around, but I'm asking, who's on your team Come on. that is praying for you, that's supporting you, whether it's in your family or your church, in your small groups, etc. Who's on your team? Think about those people because we need to leverage that. That's an asset. That's a support. Those are positive things. It's not a sign of weakness to access our team. It's a sign of strength and wisdom. Yes. And so I, saw, I reached out to my team, and I did in that moment. And what I did, I started talking about my dad. And some people, someone in my team said this. You know, it's funny you bring up your dad, Ron, because you, you haven't seen him. You're in your 30s. You haven't seen him. Well, I know someone in the Bahamas that goes to church with one of your relatives that knows where your dad is. Wow. Which I was blown away. I mean, this is before, like, Facebook and all that. So it was a while back ago. So then I reached out, connected with him. And one of the things I found out was immediately I was super anxious in meeting him for the first time. It was not easy. It wasn't one of those like you ever see on reality shows where families reunion and all exciting. It wasn't like that at all. I was super scared. I was really nervous. And I recognized I needed to forgive him. And I, and I did. I forgave him. Uh, and I told him that. He needed to know that. And that day he said, hey, let's go hang out. I never hung out with him before. I've only seen him twice. And so we went... And this last time, it was like a year or two ago, we went to a movie. And afterwards, he said, Ron, can we go to the mall? Because there's a mall right in the, like, adjacent to the movie theater. I'm like, okay, let's go to the mall. So we walk around the mall. And he said, you know, son, I, I, can I ask you a question? Can we go into this store? Because uh, I know it's a crazy question, but will you buy me a jacket? Will you buy me a coat? Okay, so I'm like thinking, oh yeah, let's buy you a coat. And as he's trying it on, the Lord spoke to me. Like in that moment, he's in the store trying it on. I hadn't thought, he reminded me of those times. Remember when I was in the hallway? He reminded me about the coat. That in that time of my duress, where I thought I was broken and fatherless and struggling, and it was never going to be my story because no dad was bringing me a coat. He said, but the Lord who loves me, he said, you know, but I have designed that you're buying his coat. And I cannot tell you how much love of the Lord that came into my life, just in that moment of realization, Lord, you've always been here in the hallway with me. Come on. You've always been here. And the community that prayed for me and stood beside me and the people that made the connections, all to bring it to today, that we were able to stand there. I took that picture because I recognized that moment. That's the moment I recognized this came full circle. What the enemy meant Come on. to destroy me with the worry and anxiety and negative elements, the Lord said, oh no, I, I know the end of the story here. I know what the story is going to happen and even greater. So here's what I say to all you. We, as we go through anxiety and navigate that, the debilitating, the struggle, the inner narrative, all that, place your hope in Jesus. Sometimes that's, that's, that's first step. That I don't see it, Lord, but I know you got this. I don't see it sometimes, but it's my faith in him. And then I reach out to the community. Who's on your team? Who's gonna, who can pray with you? Who will listen? Who will stand there and say, I'm not going anywhere? But God put those people in our lives. And if you don't have that, you have a great church here that wants to be that. Yeah. And I'd say access that tonight, today. Will you pray for us, Ron? Lord, I just thank you so much for the ability for us to talk about the topic of anxiety. Admittedly, a very difficult and complex topic, but one that we know, Lord, the devil is a liar, and you have paid it on the cross. Victory is through you, Lord. And I just pray for everyone in this room as we navigate these circumstances in our lives or our family members' lives or our friends' lives, that we just pray that the, whatever the enemy, the lies, the, the anxiety, Lord, that, that they know you're there. You're fighting that battle with us. We're not alone. I pray that any negative thoughts and messages be crowded out by the truth that your word gives. And I pray give comfort to those that are hurting today, that they don't have the words. Maybe all they can say is Jesus, but I pray you give them comfort to know that they're not alone in you, Lord. And I thank you for all you've done for us. Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we say thank you to Dr. Ron Ferguson? Thank you. You can take the mic with you.
as Ron was sharing his story in the jacket, all, all I was thinking about is how awesome God's redemptive work is. And I just sense that some of us, we walked into this space and you have, you've kind of looked at some of the pressure and the stress and anxiety that you've experienced and you're like, for what good could this be? And honestly, Ron, you've given me hope that God can even use the difficult things in my life in the future. And I may not know exactly how, but I'm gonna trust God to move forward and be faithful with what he's put in front of me. Amen, church. Can we stand up? Uh, every week we pray a prayer. And uh, for most of us that call Echo Church home, this is just a simple reminder that we cannot do life alone, but it, it is meant to be in surrender to God. But I also understand there's some of you that might have walked into this space and you feel far from God. And this prayer is a great moment for you to take a step towards God, believing that when you pray this, God is not just taking one step, but he's taking, in essence, a flying leap, and he desires to have a relationship with you. Some of you came into this church, and you feel really good because you came to church today, and you're like, yeah, I'm searching for God, but what you don't know, what I'm going to tell you right now is God has been searching for you, and he desires to have a relationship with you, so much so that he sent his son to pave that way. And that's what this prayer is all about, is saying, God, you know what? I can't do it but I know that you can. And so church, as some people pray this for the very first time and many of us for uh, the hundredth time, uh, may we just say, God, would you have your way? Let us pray. Jesus, I surrender. I have more questions than answers, but I choose to follow you anyway. I acknowledge that you lived, you died, and you rose again, all with us in mind. I accept the rescue that you offer. Save me and lead me in Jesus' name and his authority. Amen. Let's take a few moments and just let the Lord work on our hearts and minds as he continues the work that he's begun.
this series so much. Ron, thank you for your wisdom today. And I just think as I was listening to you and Andy share, what's just ringing in my ears is that God wants to repair you, that you are not broken, that if you've come in here feeling left, abandoned, broken, it's a lie, that God is here with you right now in this very moment and he's here to repair. And how, do we, how does he repair? I think repenting. I think us bringing to him our brokenness, bringing to him our weakness or our thoughts. And I just love that wise owl and the barking dog analogy. And I just think that we are called to be wise owls to each other. And as Andy shared, the moment we failed as parents, yo, I failed. I was like, go to bed, child, I am done. But we are not called to add to the noise. We are called to be wise and to speak truth into other people. So if it's internal for you today and you have the work to do in your own life, in your own story, in your own brokenness, do that. But if you are here going, okay, who can I be a wise owl? Who is God calling me to sit in the pain? to sit in the sorrow. Repenting is us giving God our sorrow. It's giving him the brokenness. And so it's us being truth tellers. Amen? Amen.